0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Benjamin May McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host Benjamin and joining me on the show today is legendary best-selling Australian author Matthew Riley. About five days ago he released his latest book, The Great Zoo of China, and it really is fantastic. So Matthew chats to us about that release today. And also, I'll be giving my normal DVD reviews thanks to Roadshow Entertainment and Madman Entertainment. And of course, I'll be checking out the latest feature films thanks to Palace Nova Cinemas. So, here's that interview with Matthew Ryder. Welcome to the show and thank Enjoy. you for joining me today. It's good to be here. Now, before we talk specifically about The Great Zoo of China, which is in stores today, who or what inspired you to become a writer? Oh, and funnily enough, it was Michael
1: Crichton who inspired me to become a writer. I grew up reading Jurassic Park and Rising Sun, and these were books that I just couldn't put down. And I thought, that's the kind of book I want to read, but I want it to be even bigger, even faster, even more entertaining. Uh, and then I read Tom Clancy, John Grisham, Jeffrey Archer, uh, all books that you just couldn't put down.
0: Mm, and you certainly have achieved the, the bigger and more action-packed <laughs> status.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I like to think I've really sort of forged my own individual, unique style.
0: Absolutely. People know when they pick up a Matthew Riley book exactly what to expect. <laughs> that's
1: right. That's right. Lots of destruction and carnage and maybe a little bit of running and screaming. And some grapple hooks. Of course. Of course. So the, the old mag hook. Um, you know, I love, I love the grapple hooks because I've always believed that the great heroes in film and books, swing. Indiana Jones, swings. Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker, swung. At least in Star Wars, he swung. Mm -hmm. Uh, How are you going to swing in the modern world if you don't have a grapple hook? (laughs) Batman, grapple hook.
0: That's right. Absolutely. Well, can you talk us through your career journey?
1: My career journey? um, So Contest was my first book, rejected by every publisher, so I self-published it. Uh, it got noticed in a bookstore by Macmillan in Australia, who asked me what else I was working on, and I'd just started Ice Station. And Ice Station was the one which really catapulted me around the world. Uh, Ice Station had three sequels, Theory Seven, Scarecrow and Scarecrow and the Army of Thieves. Uh, I moved on to do a bit more of an Indiana Jones-style series with Seven Ancient Wonders, Six Sacred Stones and The Five Greatest Warriors. Uh, and a few years ago, I decided to branch out into uh, a historical fiction, historical thriller called The Tournament, uh, which has proved to be enormously popular with female readers. A lot of people think a Matti book is more blokey, more boysy, but if you went to one of my signings, you'd, you'd see that half of my readers, if not more than half, are women. And now, I decided to go back to... The monster movie roots that I had with contest, and do the Great Zoo of China. Mm. And that's, How's that in a nutshell?
0: That's that's pretty good. And as you mentioned, you've covered a whole range of genres. So, what genre would you place the Great Zoo of China in?
1: I would call it. I would place it firmly in the people running and screaming and trying not to get eaten by the giant creatures genre. <laughs> um, which for me, which for me, goes back to contest. Um, what other you know, there's often been sort of animals in the other books But really when it comes to running and screaming Contest and Great Zoo sort of share the same lineage uh, You know, I, I like reading all kinds of books But the main element I like in any book Is it's got to be hard to put down It has to just be a powerhouse of momentum And so whether I write about a chess tournament in 1546 or whether I write about, you know, a zoo with dragons in it in the present-day China. It's got to be just a relentless roller coaster ride.
0: And do you think that's what makes people all over the world love your novels?
1: Um, I I do. I do. I I think people enjoy a, a story where the author just strap yourself in, hold on tight, and enjoy the ride. I also like to think that my books have a particular... Australianness to them in that I just don't take myself too seriously um, you know even even with with great zoo you know in the in the, the summary of the story on the inside flat uh, which I wrote uh, it says you know the guests come to this zoo and they're told they'll be amazed and that nothing can go wrong you know of course it can't you know that sort of thing I think that's particularly Australian uh, and I think that really comes out in the books and is one of the reasons people quite enjoy my stuff.
0: Mm, absolutely. Now, in The Great Zoo of China, you have your first female lead. Do you think fans will connect with this new character? Uh, even um, even the handful of
1: people who've already read the book, they've really responded to CJ Cameron, uh, who is my first female lead. Uh, i just felt with a book like Great Zoo, you know, where you are in this sort of... Uh, Large environment with lots of dangerous creatures. It can all get a bit blokey, and I loved having the female perspective uh, in the heroine C.J. Cameron, and she's definitely you know born out of the Ripley mould from the Alien movies. She is a she's a woman you want to cheer for, and when she has to, she gets down and dirty and kicks butt. Uh, I also liked it because there's a crucial scene in the book where she befriends one of the dragons which is the creatures in the great zoo and i had in my research i had discovered that some animals in in zoos around the world respond to female handlers rather than males and i'm not sure why that's the case but that was one of the reasons that i made the lead character in the book female because i thought well this is something i can explore Um, Mm. so yeah i'm the fans who have already read the books and people who've got early copies have really responded to CJ, which I'm thrilled with. She
0: is a fantastic character. I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, I just said she really is a fantastic character.
1: Yeah, oh, th- thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, a- as an author as well, I just have to try new things myself. I've had lots of very strong male lead characters with Scarecrow and with Jack West Jr. Um, so I thought, and I, I did, let- let's be honest, I I tested myself out with the tournament because one of the leads in the tournament is a teenage Queen Elizabeth I, and that whole book was told from a, a teenage girl's point of view, uh, but you couldn't call her the out-and-out hero of the story. And so with this one, I decided to go to go all in, and yeah, I'm really pleased. I'm glad you like her. Mm. Well, how
0: did you go about developing the character of CJ?
1: <laughs> well, what I really wanted, and this was reflected in my other books, I wanted someone who's a little damaged to begin with. And what I really like from the moment we meet CJ, uh, because she's described as you know being attractive in a sporty kind of way. And, and that sounds like, oh, yeah, that sounds like every movie we've ever seen with Charlize Theron in the lead or Nicole Kidman or Naomi Watts. You know, it's going to be just a beautiful blonde woman. But then it says, and men would often approach her until they saw the jagged line of scars running down the left side of her face. And instantly, we've got a different character. We've got someone who is approached by men and sees them turn away when they spot this thing on her face. They don't even want to meet her because of the scars on her face. And I think one of the reasons early readers are responding to CG is that's a really human thing right from the Mm. get-go. And those wounds to her face came from an incident with an alligator. She stepped away from work with alligators. And so putting her in this zoo with pretty much the biggest alligators ever created in the history of the world uh, was obviously going to be something that she wasn't going to be comfortable with. So that was what I was looking for with CJ.
0: Absolutely. And I think you certainly achieved that.
1: Mm. Uh, I've been really pleased. And actually, she also bounces off her brother. Um, I like the idea that our the two characters we follow are CJ and her brother Hamish and you know, she's small and academic and he's big and brash and loud. And they bounce off each other well.
0: Mm. Now, the book certainly leaves it open for a sequel. Do you have any plans to revisit the characters you've created?
1: Uh, you know, I call them little my own little Easter eggs. Uh, there are some little Easter eggs I've put into the book uh, to, to leave the door open for a sequel. But in all honesty, I have to say I... I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> I, um, this year, I had the tournament come out this time last year. I had Troll Mountain, uh, an e-book, come out in May, and now I've got Great Zoo of China. Uh, I've had a very, very creative time in the last sort of 18 months. I need a good rest. I need to sit on a beach with a book myself, and I often find when I'm sitting on a beach relaxing, I'll get that next idea, so I'll start thinking about a sequel perhaps for Great Zoo, but. I have to be honest and say, whatever it is, I have no idea what it is
0: right now. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come.
1: Yeah, yeah, it always does.
0: <laughs> now, one of the other great characters in the book is Lucky. How did you go about personifying a dragon?
1: This was um, this was something I really looked forward to when I when I mapped out the book. Uh, I didn't want my dragons just to be vicious creatures which just kill indiscriminately. I wanted us, using the technology of today, uh, for those uh, fans listening, Lucky is one of the dragons, and Lucky has an implant grafted onto her brain so that we can actually detect what she's uttering when she growls and purrs and curs. And so she actually is able to communicate with humans. Um, I actually looked at my dog, Uh, actually my dog who is sitting at my feet right now, and I incorporated into Lucky's mannerisms, sort of how a dog's ears fly back when they're happy. Uh, It's always been funny for me writing animals. I love trying to describe an animal's face or how an animal reacts. And uh, what I really like with Lucky is the way her face reacts and also the dialogue, which is deliberately stilted. It's very, very basic. Uh, And it's always interesting to think, how would we communicate if we only had perhaps 150 words? Uh, that's I think Lucky comes out of it.
0: Yeah, looking great. Mm. Very pleased with Lucky. She's great. Now, how did you go about developing the book from the idea to the final novel? Uh, one of the, I had the idea
1: back in two thousand three of having a zoo with dragons in it. Uh, I'd stumbled upon a dragon museum in Europe, and I thought, what if you had a zoo with dragons? I couldn't figure out who would build it. And watching China develop over the last 10 years, suddenly I realized this wasn't science fiction or fantasy. I could do this in the present day. And if I did it with China, I could also really thread in some geopolitics and and and, and really bring readers' attention to the society that exists in China. But the main thing I wanted to do as I was developing the story was I wanted to make my dragons absolutely ruthlessly real. I didn't want dragons like in a Disney movie, you know, with a, with a horse's or a donkey's head and a fat sort of belly. I wanted dragons which were, if a dragon was real, what would it look like? And I thought it'd be reptilian, it'd be lean, it'd be mean, the muscles on its wings would be strong. Uh, and so when you see the descriptions of the dragons uh, in the Great Zoo of China, I want you to be thinking of an animal that really could have existed, not some sort of cartoon dragon. So much of my research went into looking at real animals, like great white sharks, saltwater crocodiles, and trying, in my own mind, to describe them.
0: Mm. Now, one of the other things that a Matthew Riley novel is known for is the detailed maps at the start of certain passages. (laughs) Do you do those yourself?
1: Uh, I do uh I do them, and especially, say, with Great Zoo, there's a, a nice big map at the very start in the end pages of the book. I do that map, and then we hand it off to a professional artist who just does it a little bit more nicely. But uh, believe it or not, when I'm writing these books, I need to see the environment. So I actually didn't start writing uh, Great Zoo until I myself had finished the drawing of the zoo. So I wanted to see... You know, the mountain in the middle with the revolving restaurant on top. I wanted to see the double-decker cable cars, you know, going around 300 feet off the ground. So, yep, there are diagrams. And in actual fact, in Great Zoo, as you'll uh perhaps to my own peril, I have some diagrams in there which show a screen which shows each dragon as a moving symbol. Mm. Uh, that, I, I've never seen that in a book before and that was something which i really had to pay close attention to because you know once the dragon dies then that little symbol has to stay in the same spot for the rest of the book and i was always on the illustrator's back saying you can't move that dragon he's dead he has to stay right there
0: <laughs> so a lot of detail goes into those maps
1: a lot of detail goes into the maps um i'm one of my readers i'm the kind of person who likes reading this book and i'm into the detail and if i get a little detail wrong on one of those maps My fans will let me know within three days of the book's release, so (laughs) I'm on it really
0: closely. Absolutely. Now, this has been one of your fastest releases ever, seeing we had Trail Mountain early in the year and Tournament last year. Does this mean we (laughs) might be seeing a new Matthew Riley novel every year?
1: Uh, Alas, no. I am utterly exhausted right now, so it's definitely going to be two years to the next one. It just so happened that um, I had Tournament ready to go and I had actually already written Troll Mountain, and we just felt it was a good time to, to release it. Uh, so it's just been a busy year, but no, I I, I, I can't sustain that sort of schedule. Um, ultimately, I think my fans will wait two years for the next book and get a good one, rather than have me try to churn out something every year and lose the quality.
0: Mm, mm, absolutely, that's definitely preferred. Mm. So what's been your favourite novel to work on so far?
1: Oh, you know, with each book, I always try to make the next book better than the one that came before. So I'm always trying to do something different. Um, I love the races in Hovercar Racer, uh, having all these tight finishes. Uh, I love the aliens from Contest, and even with Great Zoo, just trying to figure out how to describe how a dragon moves in actual fact the thing i had the most fun with in great zoo was coming up with six different species of dragons and giving them names like green river dragon eastern gray dragons red-bellied black dragons yellow jacket and all of those names and especially australians will will see a red-bellied black snake is a kind of snake and eastern gray is a kind of kangaroo a yellow jacket is a kind of wasp and so i've used names which people will be a little familiar with, and they're instantly recognisable. Yellow jacket, red-bellied black. You can you can picture a red-bellied black dragon straight away mm. because it's got a red belly and it's black. Um, and that was... I, I really enjoyed writing about a, a mythical creature. Uh, like I did back with Seven Wonders, creating the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, when you're writing about something mythical, there are no rules. The world is your oyster. It's all about imagination. So... Um, it's hard to pick one book being more fun than the other because I had fun writing all of them.
0: No, I can understand that. Now, your listeners have been very active online and literally sent hundreds of questions overnight. So I've picked the, uh, <laughs> the most common or the favourite ones to put to you. Um, and the, the first one uh, is, how many movie props do you own?
1: How many movie props do I own?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, well let me let me list them off the top of my head I've got the DeLorean from Back to the Future uh, The Golden Idol from Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, A Django Fett helmet uh, A Han Solo in Carbonite Which is full sized, he sits in my office um, They're the four main ones uh, Beyond that it, Close readers will note that I love vehicles from Film. So I have like I have a little toy of a Millennium Falcon, or the Dropship from Aliens, or the latest Batmobile from the Batman movies. So uh, I, I even just bought myself one of the ships from um, Guardians of the Galaxy. It cost me twenty bucks. Fantastic. Um, so let's let's count it at four movie prop replicas and dozens of vehicles from my favourite movies.
0: Certainly a great collection there. It inspires me. Every day I look at Han Solo uh,
1: and just look at it and get inspired. Love it. Uh, If I ever move house, I could leave all the furniture, all the bedding, um, but I'll always take Han Solo with me wherever I go.
0: Well, speaking of inspiration, one of the other questions that came up was what film inspired you to write the most?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, is a very influential film on me. Uh, in particular, The Truck Chase, where Indiana Jones goes under the truck. Uh, similarly, Die Hard, uh, where Bruce Willis leaps off the roof with the fire hose tied around his waist. In both of those instances, Indiana Jones and John McClane are basically doing something outrageous to avoid certain deaths. Now, by going under the truck or leaping off the building, they're risking their lives. But if they stay where they are, they know they're going to die. And for me as a storyteller, if there's anything in my books which comes from those two films, it's putting my characters in such terrible, mortal jeopardy that they are certainly going to die. So they're going to have to do something completely outrageous to get out of that. So influencers, raiders and diehards.
0: Two great films.
1: Yeah, and and they stand up today, you can watch them today, and they both, they do not stop.
0: They don't. Now I'm sure you must get this one a lot, but is there any progress on getting a movie or TV series made around any of your novels or characters?
1: (laughs) Uh, I do get this a lot, and I've really tried. Paramount Pictures bought Ice Station, Disney bought Hovercar Racer, the ABC network in America tried to do a TV show of Seven Wonders none of them have got to shooting. Um, they've all gone through various screenwriters. Uh, I have, I'm planning to do a bit more time in Los Angeles in 2015. Uh, in particular, I'd like to focus on television. I, I think feature films at the moment, uh, they're really going down the comic book path. Mm. Uh, whereas I think television, with Game of Thrones, True Detective, Fargo, I think television is getting into a great new place and I wonder if something like I Station would actually work as a fantastic eight part T V show. Um, so that's what I plan to explore, but please tell my fans they'd be great as movies and I've really I've I've sold my film my book rights to some pretty heavy hitters in Hollywood, but nothing as yet.
0: Do you think that's a budgetary thing? Because, I mean, the amount of stuff you'd have to blow up and the characters you'd have to kill and with the CGI in general is, is pretty massive on in creating one of your books. Yeah,
1: it is. It is. You're looking at $120 million before you even get to the starting line, transforming mm. one of my books into a film. So to a certain extent, I've written myself out of the market. But in my own mind, I think if somebody can make The Lord of the Rings, they can make a Matthew Riley book um, with enough. If you get somebody like Peter Jackson who is so enthusiastic, they will find a way. But you're absolutely right. Uh, it's because of the action and the scale. Um, I mean, look at Great zoo That is easily the biggest of all of my books. Yeah. Um, by when you long think long you don't way, get,
0: yeah. When you think you uh, can't get much bigger, you go bigger again. So, yeah, Great Zip is yeah, and, huge. And, and to me, this is
1: the joy of a book. Um, The limit of my budget is the limit of my imagination, and every reader's going to picture the dragons and the zoo in in their own mind, in their own way. Um, A movie sometimes sort of settles the issue, and uh, if somebody can do it with the bucks, that'd be fantastic, but I have to keep going and writing the next book. If I'd stopped writing, I'd still be waiting for Ice Station to be made, and that deal was done back in the early 2000s. Mm, It's
0: been a long time. Well, our our final listener question is, will Troll Mountain ever be released as a physical novel? Absolutely.
1: Uh, It will be. Uh, Troll Mountain, uh, my publisher, Macmillan, was very keen to try something as an e-book only. And I was sitting with them and I said, well, I actually wrote this short book called Troll Mountain. Why don't we give that a try? And and they were thrilled to give it a try as an e-book only, but... It will come out as a hard copy book. Uh, I make no promises, but I'm thinking next year is a very
0: good bet. Wonderful. Now, how would you say the writing industry has changed since you first became involved in it?
1: Oh, that's a good question. There's a long answer to that, and I'll try and give the short answer. Um, I, my books now sell in ebook form, in home delivery form, uh, through the likes of Amazon or Booktopia. com. au, and in bookstores. Uh, the short answer: I, I realised this one day as I was driving past a Domino's pizza shop. Books have become like pizza. Pizza used to go out to the restaurant. You know, to the remember the old Pizza Huts. You used to go out and eat at the restaurant. Mm. Now pizza pizzas are a home delivery item, and in many ways, I have seen books. Since iStation came out in 1998, I've seen books become more and more like a home delivery item. I'd say upwards of 40 or 50% of books are delivered straight to people's iPads or in the mail to their home. That's been the biggest change I've found in the last 16 years.
0: Absolutely. Now, if you had two sentences to sell The Great Zoo of China to someone who had never read one of your books before, how would you do it? Two sentences.
1: Uh, in present-day China, the Chinese government has created a zoo filled with dragons. Full stop. Death, destruction, and an absolute rampage of action follows. <laughs>
0: Enjoy. I think that's <laughs> <you> a <laughs> wonderful summary. <laughs> well, finally, uh, how would you how would you do it? About that. Oh, I think I think the death, destruction, and dragons would probably sum the book up. Oh, it's, it's... yeah, yeah. I could I could live with that. Yeah. Uh, well, finally, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to become an author? You know, there is a very simple answer to
1: that. You just write what you would read yourself. Uh, you know, I I love thrillers. I love books that you can't put down. Where, I will reread one of my manuscripts a dozen times before it gets into bound form. And if I'm not going to enjoy it, how can I expect anybody else to? I'm not going to write poetry. I'm not going to start writing romance or, or more literary fair because I don't know that. But I'm an expert on action and thrillers. Uh, I know the state of the art, and so that means I, I can break the rules and do something new. So write what you love to read, and you can't go wrong.
0: Well, thank you very much for your wise words and your time today. Benjamin, thanks for having me. It's been great. It's been wonderful, and The Great Zoo of China is available at all good bookstores and online now. That was my chat with Matthew Riley, recorded on Monday the 10th of November 2014, and he really was a fantastic guest, and I do really encourage you to buy his new book. It really is a wonderful, wonderful read. Now, Roadshow Entertainment have had some great releases out this month, I'm going to cover a couple of my favourites. Now, while there's a ton of new fantastic DVDs out from Roadshow this month, some of my favourites is the Australian drama from the ABC, which has been released finally on DVD, and the first one I'd like to look at is Jack Irish, the box set trio. Now Guy Pearce plays Jack Irish, and his characterisation is really, really sublime. He captures that that Aussie detective feel without being too boganish, but uh, he certainly gets the Australian characteristics in there. And these they're are three feature films, so it certainly is a fantastic box set. And each mystery is quite different. We've also got. Uh, one of Australia's favourite actors at the moment, from Janet King, Marta Dusseldorp. And the series is quite strong as a whole. They're based on novels, which I think really means that the writers of the television show have a good basis to work with, which always helps. And another of the Australian dramas out this month is Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Now, I think this is a much lighter look at the Australian mystery side. Uh, unlike uh, Jack Irish, which is quite dark and sometimes gritty and violent, Miss Fisher's murder mysteries is a quite light and enjoyable series. Now, I haven't been one of the biggest fans of the series, but I know a lot of Australians are, and it is coming back for a third series on ABC next year. And the, the characters, they're not very deep, but they're a lot of fun, and that makes the show quite enjoyable for someone looking for a a mystery but they can relax to. And I'm sure you can solve it if you really put your mind to it. And there's also some wonderful releases out this month as well. The Honourable Woman uh, with Maggie Gyllenhaal, which is a sublime sublime piece of British drama. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal plays a a spy, and I don't want to spoil the series, but that is another one of my favourites out this month from the UK. And we've also got um, The Time of Our Lives box set, which is more Australian drama, not a detective show. Um, And... That's, I think, been released separately on uh, DVD already throughout the year, um, Series 1 and 2, so I, uh, I have reviewed those separately. Um, but once again, they are very uh, a, a great look into uh, you know, f- the fictitious lives of these characters, and it's emotional and dramatic, and it is quite sad that it's not coming back for a third series. And for fans of horror, there's also uh, 7,500, which is a horror story set on a plane, so uh, if you do have a very weak stomach like I do, and Hate Flying, I might stay away from that one. And there's also Misfits, which has been recently voted uh, one of the best on-television superhero shows ever. And now while I'm not sure I quite agree with that, it certainly is some strong drama, so I do encourage you to check out all those releases from Roadshow Entertainment. Now, we haven't got anything new from Mad Men this month, but I do encourage you to check out all of their previous releases, uh, Frank, The Trip to Italy, The Double, and Midsummer Murders Series 16 Part 1 and 2, as well as some earlier releases from the year, The Hound of Baskerville starring Tom Baker, which is a real, real laugh. Now for the latest cinematic releases. There's only been two since uh, the first podcast of this month, and they are Mild Lady and Interstellar. Now, My Old Lady is a charming film and it has a stellar cast with wonderful cinematography and is enjoyable even though it is slightly predictable. Uh, I gave that one four stars and uh, the wonderful Maggie Smith and Kevin Kline are in that one and they are really superb. Now, one of the most highly anticipated films of the year is Interstellar uh, but it is an utter disaster from beginning to end. The only redeeming feature of this film is the wonderful cinematography. And it doesn't make it worth the 171 minutes of your life that you won't get back. So uh, I'm not encouraging anyone to go see this, and I gave it half a star. Which is one of my lowest ratings of the year, but it really is an utter disaster. And don't forget to check out all of the supporters of this show. Rojo Entertainment, Madman Entertainment as well as Palace Nova Cinemas and the wonderful Mad Zombie Collectibles. I've been your host, Benjamin May McKay, and you can join me next month when I chat to American actor Ed Amatrudo, who is currently playing Glenn Goodman in the very popular series Nashville. so join us for that chat. And that's going to be wonderful. That'll be the first podcast in December. I look forward to seeing you all next month. I've been your host, Benjamin May McKay. See you next time.
1: <laughs>